Hey, you guys, it's Alana coming to you from my couch in Brooklyn, New York, USA. I just wanted to talk for a moment about the status of things. As I approach 250 episodes, I want to first and foremost say thank you to all of you. The Little Known Facts community has been one of the most glorious things in my life, and I hope has brought true joy to so many of you. Uh, I feel like we're a family, and so many of you have been listening from the beginning. Um, And to those of you who are newer to the podcast, I'm so glad you're here. I feel like this community remains one of the most special parts of my life and has been something that has really helped me get through this unprecedented, awful time. Um, And I just wish you good health first and foremost. And I also wanted to say that as you can imagine, because you listen, you know, a lot of my sponsorships in the past came from arts related organizations. And as you can imagine, most of those have not been able to continue sponsoring the podcast because theater and arts in general continue to be paused or slash intermission or whatever you want to call it. So here is why I'm interrupting our regularly scheduled programming for one second. Um, On my website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, there's a donations page, and it's really simple to contribute, whether you do it through PayPal or Venmo or however you want to do it. And I say to you, honestly, if every one of you donated $1 a month, it would make an extraordinary difference in um, the support that I would have to continue making this content for you every week. Um, I don't do this alone. By the way, if you cannot contribute, that is not going to stop me from making content for you every week. The joy that I get making this podcast and getting to connect with you really is worth its weight in gold. But there are some realities. And if you were thinking of donating and maybe you haven't had a chance, um, might this be a good time? And if not, don't worry. I'm right here. I feel you. And it's a big ask. But that's why I'm saying even a dollar a month would be significant. Um, But mostly, I hope you are well. I hope you are safe. I hope you have loved ones around um, to be with during this rough time. And as always, I'm so grateful to you. And thank you for being a part of the Little Known Facts family. And I, uh, I look forward to all being able to hug each other soon. All right. Have a great day. Enjoy the episode. Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. 
visit gcu.edu. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. known fact about my guest today, star of Modern Family, Ty Burrell, and one of the writers of Modern Family, Bill Rubel. Here's the deal. We sent a lot of emails back and forth to find a time for the three of us to meet, to have this conversation. And what I didn't realize is that Ty Burrell was writing from a mountain time location. And so when the day came to have this conversation, uh, he was waiting an hour before Bill and I were ready. And that's because even though he wrote Mountain Time over and over again, we just weren't paying attention. So that's on us. But really what that brought out is that Mountain Time in general just needs more attention. And so Billy and Ty and I are setting up an organization uh, called Mountain Time Productions, which will be devoted to raising awareness about Mountain Time in general. Okay, that's not true. None of that is true, except for the fact that Ty was calling in from a mountain time location, and it did mean that we were an hour late in joining him. But that didn't stop us from having what I thought was one of the most joyous, informative, and really um, eye-opening about what it is to be a, a writer on a sitcom, the star of a sitcom, and what that relationship is. And so I bring you Ty Burrell and Bill Rubel, who are part of what made the 11 seasons of Modern Family so extraordinary. And I'm so lucky to have had this time with them. And I'm so happy to share this with you today. And I hope wherever you are, it's mountain time. A-okay. A-okay. I want to officially introduce... Ty Burrell and Bill Rubel. Bill <laughs> is um, one of the great minds who wrote Modern Family, and Ty Burrell uh, played Phil Dunphy, a major character on Modern Family. I thought it would be really fun and different to sort of talk about um, what the collaboration and what the process is between uh, a writer and a star of a sitcom. Um, I'm not sure if it's true that that Bill wrote a lot for Phil Dunphy's character. I don't know if the two of you on set or off set would ever talk about uh, how the character should evolve or or I don't the, really know when you met to start understanding this fusion of the two of you. Right. The relationship basically worked where I would sit on a like a stool and Bill would put <laughs> his hand up my uh, the back of my shirt and, and make my mouth move to, to all of, all of the words that he'd written. Right. Uh, and, and it was really masterful because he could get me to turn and look and talk at him while his mouth was completely closed. It was, yeah. Uh, it requires, yeah, I, it, I, that, that took training. Don't get me wrong. It's not a gift. Um, it's funny. You no, know, the, the people often ask, like, do you write for this character or that character? But the, the the reality of being on the staff of a TV show is that you really, you, you better write for everybody because mm -hmm. you have to kind of, particularly when you're writing a draft, you've got to write every voice. Um, and I mean, in this case, ultimately, 
you know, the character of Phil was created by my, my two former bosses. They don't control me anymore. Who created Modern Family? That was, um, that was loaded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In case they're listening, you, you don't know me. You don't know me. Uh, Steve Levitan and Chris Lloyd, and so the character of Phil Dunphy kind of sprung from their imaginations in the pilot. And then the beauty of being a writer on staff is that I showed up just right after the pilot with a handful of other people, and we began to, you know, try and cobble together all of these characters on the show, not just Phil, but everybody. But um, but I do remember early on when I think Ty, you might have come in and have lunch with the writers like very early before the show had premiered one, one summer. Mm-hmm. So you do try and like get to know the, the, the actors' personalities a little bit because I think at a certain point there's like a blending of, not a blending, but there's a small synthesis of the writer's the actor's personalities into the character. And we try and adapt to that a little bit. Does, does that seem fair, Ty? Yeah, I, I, I think, um, uh, you know, we're joking about me being a puppet, but the truth of the matter really is, is that, that uh, there's a, there was a lot less, I think you're being generous by saying that there was a synthesis, though. There, the, the, the reality, to me anyway, of... of that situation is everything is driven by the writing and maybe over time there was like, you know, some back and forth, but people always think that there was a lot of improvising and, you know, that, that somehow it was sort of like this weird alchemy of writer and actor. And to my experience, it really was just trying to, the, we, we were, we had a really stacked writer's room, Bill, Bill being at the very, you know, very forefront of that group, but um, just trying to get it, get it right. <laughs> um, well, that, I mean, that is, look, it, it is also, yeah. I mean, I think that it, it varies. We had a room for improvisation on the stage, you know, but, but, but there was always an attempt, I think, when we were shooting stuff to, to do it as it was written. And yeah. particularly when we would do the initial reading of it, that, that is, it is definitely true. But like I said, I think part of the fun, at least of, of my job as a writer, is getting is you get to know the actors a little bit and you start to see uh, things that they enjoy doing or just little quirks of their own personality, you know, and that. But 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 it's always a combination. And Ty is also being modest, you know, where the things that people are good at, like and Ty is really I funny. Think, I think if you spend enough time around me, you, fi- you figure out that I am oblivious. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then it becomes easier to write to that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, Ilana. One of Ty's favorite things to say about his character of Phil was that his mind was like was like a meadow, you know, in terms of speaking of his kind of innocence and naivete and sweetness. But Ty, I, your mind is not a meadow. It's, it's more, <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's more it's, like a waterfall. Or, or it's like a rocky terrain, you know. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, if we go back to your sort of initial understanding of the character, Ty, like how did yeah. this show, I actually watched Back to You. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Which was the show that Chris and Steve had done. Was that right before Modern Family? Maybe yeah. there was something else in between or I don't know, but. No, pretty much. It was 2007. So like two years before Okay, so you were on that show, and I can even see then, like, there are some tie-isms. There are some things that are in your 
nature um, when you are doing a comedy, because I also saw you in Burn This, which was so different than any of these things. Ty, guys, you know, was a beloved theater actor and Broadway actor before he went out to L.A. And so this is really all a ploy to get both of you to realize, like, <laughs> no. to come back and write a play for Ty to do on Broadway. Um, is that oh, is that man. a thing? Like, could that be a thing? Bill, oh, man. If Bill's there with his hand up my shirt, I'm I'm, I'm I'm anywhere. I'm wherever he is. Do you know what's so great? That will be the audio trailer for this. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> this will have the most listens and outraged people. Um, so when I guess my question is, obviously you knew Chris and Steve from that show. Yeah. Uh, was this part of Phil Dunphy created with you in mind by those writers? It was. It was. And gosh, there's so much about that. Like I think as a fellow actor and and you know, any actor listening that the trap of hearing that something was written for you, I I thought I had the job, which is like mm-hmm. a classic misstep that yeah, I never seem to have learned from, but I, it, <laughs> it, it was, it was written for me, but I actually had to jump through a tremendous amount of hoops to get the job. Um, uh, Steve McPherson, who was ran ABC at the time did, was not a fan, <laughs> like was actually like really direct about how terrible he thought I was. <laughs> it was, it was oh my was, God. It was kind of amazing. It was, it was in a weird way. It was almost admirable. It was like, wow, this guy really <laughs> is not afraid to tell me how bad I am. But um, how is this information you're, so clearly you are not being protected from this information. Like how is no. this all going down and how did you continue to show up knowing that people didn't like you who were going to be looking at your tape or sitting behind the well, casting desk? I I have a tremendous amount of self-loathing, so there's no real like disagreement. <laughs> we never, we never got into an argument about it. I was like, yep, nailed it. You are right. I am unworthy. Yes. Oh my gosh, you nailed it. Um, but uh, but that's that's sort of a long way to say that um, I think the character, if 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 it, if it was written for me, it is like a little bit of reality that I do have an oblivious side in reality, mm-hmm. and also from doing bits together, which, as Bill knows, and, and I'm sure you do too, Alana, like half the fun of of this whole experience of the bits in between scenes and behind the scenes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think Phil may have come from those bits um, mm-hmm. behind the scenes on back to you and, and another show that I've done with Chris, but, right. um, but uh, yeah. So, so when it came around, I did actually feel comfortable playing it. It just, it did take me a while to get the part. <laughs> Were you scared? Uh, Scared is a big word. Obviously, there are much bigger issues in life than getting fired from a pilot. But knowing yeah. going in that there was hesitancy for yes. you to play this part, which is a major role. It wasn't, you know, you weren't yeah. one of the kids that we were going to see how much we were going to use you. Yeah. Um, were you worried that you were going to get fired? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I I have been in situations, and I'm sure there are many people listening today that have been in the same situation where... I had already thought that I had crossed the finish line and then was still, <laughs> there was another finish line 
around the bend and I was fired before that one. Right. Um, like I've been at table reads where I was asked to come in full wardrobe to still try to sell me as, <laughs> as the part. So oh my yeah, yeah, I was in full so makeup. You are well versed in being yeah. maybe fired. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I I come in, you know, with a really jumpy, uh, jumpy attitude. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I was really nervous about it. I I think I probably, you know, I, I have a I had a tendency to over prepare early on because I was up late hoping I wasn't going to get fired. Mm. Um, but. Uh, a lot of that also has to do with, um, I think, just not really having ever been on something that, that stayed on the air. So uh, there's a kind of a sense of, you know, uh, you know, will I get fired? But also trying not to get too connected to the whole project. Um, do, you, do you feel that way too, Bill? Like, I just, well, it's funny. Like, are there well, diff- protecting yourself a little bit? Yeah, well, this makes me think two things. One, um, what the disconnect is often between the writers and the actors, because I came into it like I watched the pilot in in, in Steve Levitan's office, and I had seen Todd. Todd, <laughs> I had seen Todd. Todd is we, coming we, on in one minute. We met. Yeah, yeah, we're great friends. We're great friends. Uh, I love Todd. Um, so, no, I had seen Ty in Back to You, and I had also seen him in another show that Chris Lloyd had done, an underrated show called Out of Practice. You know, I had seen Ty in the Nicole Holich Center. I don't know how to pronounce her name, film. I'd seen you in that Paul White's film. Like, I, I'm like, oh, this guy is ready for the big time, you know? And so I had no doubt whatsoever that this guy was going to be, you know, I didn't know him yet, was like, oh, I'm so lucky to be on a show where I'm writing for this human being. Mm. He, he seemed like he had done all the work. I knew it. He had theater background. So to so from my point of view and the entire staff's point of view, we walked in day one. We're so excited to write for Ty, not knowing what I'm hearing now, which is that he was, you know, riddled with insecurity. But, but I'll say on, on my side, yes, I fully expected to get fired, especially once the show was a success for the entire season one. Like you, it is, the writers have a similar doubt because you just, particularly when you're on something good, it's hard to know if you're nailing it, you know? And, and um, right. so there's a lot of insecurity and, you know, uh, look, but the, by the end of season one, the actors are obviously, nobody's getting rid of the cast, but you could mm-hmm. still get rid of the writers and nobody's going to know. So there is also a certain insecurity on the, on the writing end. At what point, at what point did you start to feel more secure in your job? I didn't feel fully secure. This is embarrassing until season two. Um, when, when I was like, my option had gotten picked up and I was back and I was like, and then I finally felt at the beginning of season two in pre-production, I was kind of could let, this is so obnoxious to say my free, like I could be myself a little bit more in a weird way. I was a little nervous the whole season one of letting being who I was and, and for fear of that, not being, um, enjoyed, appreciated, tolerated, (laughs) um, you know, but actually, I don't remember when it was. There was an episode relatively, I think it might have been towards the end of season one. It might even be season two, uh, based on a personal experience that that Chris really liked and encouraged me to write. And at that point, I was like, okay, I think maybe I'm connect- I'm fully connected to the show. Which, which, which one was that? Well, it was an episode where, um, w- when I lived in New York, I used to play basketball at the NYU gym. And I had 
been in the locker room changing after a game and I leaned back to kind of, uh, I was naked and I leaned back and my, oh, my, and my butt touched the back of the butt of the guy on the other side of the bench for me it was also at his locker. So our two butts, naked butts touched each other. And, um, and which is an awkward moment. I didn't know this man. We obviously, you know, so that became, but that became an episode between Eric Stone Street and uh, Ed O'Neill's character and right. uh, which, which I was fun to write and Chris really enjoyed and so I was like, oh, maybe my experiences can speak to writing for this show in a way that I hadn't thought about. And then at the top of season two, we did this episode called The Old Wagon, which was about oh, yeah. uh, Ty's getting rid of an old uh, station wagon, his family, which is actually based on Chris's anecdote, but I could relate to that. So by the beginning of season two, I started to feel connected, but it was, it's a process, you know, it's, it's a process of figuring it out because as a writer, you're still trying to understand the show. And I think season two, um, we the all entire staff is more comfortable than in season one, but you know that's just my opinion. Yeah, I I feel like the timing is pr pretty similar. It feels like a real parallel in terms of when I think when yeah, you felt like you settled yeah. in, Ty, like that you could breathe and just go to work and play. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think I think the I, I can't speak for the whole cast, obviously, but I feel like the over prepared. I don't even know. That's maybe not a an, a an accurate term, but the sort of like white knuckling performance stuff of mm -hmm. just sort of like beating something to death to make sure I wasn't screwing it up. <laughs> um, well, were you always really like if I were in a play with you, a comedy, and there was a bit that I was struggling with, would you be the guy that would be like, "I'm so glad you asked. I have the bit that's going to save this moment for you." I think that I. Uh, I am of a personality with comedy specifically where I did like to, you know, work a, a bunch of different angles on a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's a, it could, it could be a blessing and a curse because uh, it didn't leave me. I, I'm somebody who came in uh, actually something I really learned from um, uh, Fred Willard, but I came in with lots of alts and, wasn't always, uh, you know, just totally present for, for spontaneous stuff until we got a little further in. Right. If that makes and sense. And so it does. So can you just explain to folks what you mean by alts? Yeah. Yeah. Just, um, so, so when I was on back to you, I, I actually was in the room above Fred Willard's and I, we had shared a vent, you know, like a, uh, an air duct and I could hear him practicing all of these alts, alternate jokes, um, things that he would present as if they were spontaneous mm -hmm. and they were, they would kill. But I learned that the reason that they were so amazing, at least for him was because he had really put in time and thought about the semantics of the joke and where the, where the word, would best land and all of the things and sort of crafting the joke before the moment. And, and that's not to say that, that he wasn't an amazing improviser because he's one of the great to ever yeah, live. Absolutely. But um, so that was kind of my approach for. So he would find a way to rewrite it for himself, knowing yeah. that it was maybe better than yeah. what was on well, the page, but presented well, it in 
play that was so um, fresh and spontaneous that it was more like, hey, what if we just try this? And it would yeah. be great. Yeah, so it would sort of be like, um, and he did this on the show too, right, Bill? Where it would be like, we'd, we'd get the, the, the written joke, which by the way, you know, it really wasn't that, I, I don't think that Fred thought that his jokes were better. It really was just as like other options. Mm -hmm. But we would get the written joke um, we do it a few ways. And then as the scene was maybe starting to get a little stale, um, Fred would, would throw in one of his alts that he had been thinking about. And they, I feel like his percentage was like 98%. Right. Like well, he just, he, he just killed him. The great Fred him. Willard. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there's something great about what Ty's talking about because look, it's, as writers, we like to take a lot of pride in how we've crafted the scene and how we've written these jokes. And yet there's something, I mean, there's at a certain point, I think with comedy, especially that spontaneity can't be matched, right? And that fresh reaction and that surprising thing. And so that is something that Fred Willard would bring to the scene or Ty would bring to the scene. And as a, and by the way, it was always, it was always like, Oh, this is better. This is funnier. No, that's it, not true. That's not, not always, true. but all, it could be the case that it was better. And you just, and maybe uh, it was because the moment, the inspiration, because people weren't prepared for it. I don't know. It wasn't always better. You're right. But I, I, I would say, and I, I, I really believe that the way that it that it ended up being was there were there was much less imp improvising than when we first started out. Because everybody figured out that the writing was was almost impossible to improve, and that, I'm not just saying that because Bill is here or mm -hmm. my old bosses are listening. Right? <laughs> no, no. But it really was. Towards the the further the show got along, the everybody figured out that the writing was almost always um, superior to what we were kind of goofing off with early on in takes. What did happen? was that sometimes we would get into scenes and something wasn't quite working. And if that was the case where something wasn't quite working, it was such a fun set. It really was a welcoming set for collaboration. And, and we would kind of put our heads together and think like, why isn't this joke landing or why doesn't this moment quite work? And that's when personally, I felt like the Fred Willard approach was really helpful. It was never to replace anything because it actually most of the time it, it, it the scenes came out almost as written mm -hmm. it was just sort of these odd times when something didn't work and then it was really fun to have something you know in your back pocket but I don't want I want to be really clear because and this is actually how I feel that and this may have been may be different on other shows but on our show the writing was the the driving force of the show and there were there were certain little tweaks and things that happened, but it wasn't like what I imagine was the case on something like Parks and Rec or. Well, that's or what's some, interesting, yeah. Ty, because you know, you, since Modern Family, I think you you know, and I went to go work on this series Ted Lasso, which is on now with with Jason Sudeikis, and Jason is you know a true improviser, and and in that case, there was, and not that they didn't say the words or don't say the words that are on the page. But there's a little bit more looseness where, this sound pretentious, but they never, they always played the emotional through line and the, and the intent of the scene, but occasionally yeah. the words were a little bit more negotiable. 
And so, and that way can work too, you know, so, which isn't, you're right. We really didn't do it that way on Modern Family. It was much more, I think in the writer's room, particularly Chris and Steve were like, the line is funniest if you say it this way, you know, without adding a word or taking away a word. But I, and I hope that wasn't constricting though. No, not in any way. I think what, to my, to my mind, we were making a show that had sort of sophisticated camera work, but we were actually, excuse me, we were doing pretty traditional, almost multicam jokes Mm -hmm. that that I I really enjoy. They're very warm jokes and they require the rhythm of language. They're not. And I think that's the thing that got kind of figured out is that it was very much like more like theater than, than, um, than sort of atmospheric comedy. It was something where, where we would parse out language. You know, we were, we were really parsing out language the way you would in a play about where, where the joke lands best, what, what the rhythm of the joke is. And that's why, honestly, the writing was hard, really hard to be. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about, because when you, I mean, first of all, let's just honor the fact that the writing was hard to beat for 11 seasons. I mean, it is really incomprehensible that it week after week continued like to always be sort of at this fever pitch of hilarious and um, political and heartwarming and aspirational. It sort of consistently had all these things that it's really extraordinary to kind of grasp the scope of it. But I did want to ask, because it feels like when you say a play, it moves so fast. I mean, it moves in real time. And a play gives you rehearsal to time to work it all out. So did you Mm -hmm. guys get any, are you rehearsing at home? Are you and Julie like, come to my trailer and we'll figure this out together? Like, how are you making it so effortless to the viewer uh, that's how it feels. And in the in what I imagine is a very short amount of time to crush it. Yeah, we, we uh, that's very nice of you to say. I, I, we didn't always feel that way. We definitely felt like it didn't feel effortless at times. Did, because... it feel eggy? Did you guys feel like you had egg on your face a lot, even though we would never know that? Or There were times when it would feel that way, but we, um, it, it was, it was an so in addition to the, the kind of intricacy of what the writers were doing, writing three stories a week, that's something that I don't think gets enough attention, really. Yeah, incredible. That they're three A stories a week. Like, they're basically writing three sitcoms a week. I mean, we, we did 250 episodes, but the writers did, you know, 750. <laughs> 1,000, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 1,000. Um, but uh, so... In addition to that, we also worked really fast. We actually were kind of a notoriously fast set. But one of the things that was super cool uh, that I'm a big, I, I kind of proselytize for it now, I'm a big advocate for it, is that we cross, we cross uh, shot in the way that you would cross shoot for uh, improvise. And, and what I mean by that is um, we had multiple cameras shooting at one time mm-hmm. so that you could make mistakes and... It was all happening in real time and you could, you didn't feel precious about making mistakes. And so the rehearsal happened in front of the camera. Often we would get a couple of rehearsals on uh, done before we started shooting. But the first few takes, um, I, 
I don't know if you agree with this, Bill, but the first few takes, nobody really took too overly seriously. Yeah. Because there were usable things in all of those takes, and it felt like maybe takes, I don't know, like 10 through 20, 8 through 20 or something, or kind of when you were really getting your rhythm. So I guess I don't, I don't even know if this makes sense, but even though it was a fast process, we got to, which I think is a luxury, a lot of people have to feel really like they're getting everything right on the first take and and we didn't so yeah I, yeah well i would say yeah i don't know if it was eight like my i do recall thinking that the, the, generally the sweet spot was like take three or four four or five right in there and by okay. the way i want to say it was not it was you guys the reason we also worked fast is they always came in prepared. Like they, mm-hmm. they actually Everyone knew their, their lines. lines. They knew their lines, you know? And so we would show up and we would block it for, they would rehearse it for the writers and the producers. And then the crew would watch it and everybody kind of knew their lines. And there was a definitely, there wasn't a lot of debate about why would I do this? It was very, I think you guys were able to kind of, um, figure out the reality of what the scene was supposed to be pretty quickly. But then that said, once we started shooting it, I agree. It was usually there was a couple and it was, we kind of eased into it, but we didn't do, you know, tons and tons and tons of takes by three or four. There was usually, okay, that can work. And then five or six, maybe we would find something new, but it was mm-hmm. it real. But again, I, for me, it was the, the preparation that, that the cast brought into the scene from take one always made things usable right away. You know, and even if they were still figuring it out a little bit. What was it like to be a guest on that show? Was there a certain kind of actor that you guys would look for who could kind of keep up with your ensemble? Hmm, that's, that's a good question. Well, were you, know you nice it... to guest stars, Ty? <laughs> I sure hope I was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I sure hope I was. I, I, I. You know, we got to work with some incredible comedians over the yeah. years. And and actually just incredible actors in general. I think the thing, and I, I didn't mean to, I hope I'm not interrupting Bill, but I, I, I'm curious what you think about this. The, the, the thing that I heard the most was that it was unnerving to work as fast as we did. Yeah. I, I think a lot of actors, we tried to prepare them. You try to prepare them, but it, it, is, it was unusual how quickly we got into into filming because we were working it out on camera, but I think your mentality is you want to be when the first take happens, you know, you really, most folks were, were wanting to be ready and we weren't really rehearsing much. So I, I did feel badly for some folks that came on and. Right. Because they know, might not have felt like they knew what they were doing yeah. as, as much as they would have liked to when, when yeah. action was called. Yeah. Yeah. And we, I think we tried, you know, as best we could to say, don't really, don't worry about it. Like we are going to, we're just figuring this out on camera, but understandably, I mean, when you're a guest, uh, it's always a little nerve wracking. And I think that probably was not a, you know, but then I think once people were recurring, that went away pretty quickly. Right. What do you, what do you think though? Yeah. I mean, I think that you guys, look, I thought that you are a very warm ensemble and welcomed people. And I think that, People who were like my, like, look, I, I, 
was a particular fan of Stephen Merchant. Stephen Merchant had created The Office. He was in The Office. He just seemed like he could jump in and immediately got, got it, you know? He really like, did. You know? And, and, but then I also really enjoyed Ma- Matthew Broderick on the show. Like, Matthew, mm-hmm. I don't know if he, he just seemed to... I mean, he's such a great actor, and he also seemed to get into the spirit of having fun. So, you know, it, 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 there were people who came in, and it was like, oh, this just fits right into the ensemble. But, but it was... I do think you had to be facile... And you had to be prepared, but you know, I and I hope people enjoyed it because I do think that also as writers, it was like, look, you're writing, you're writing for Judy Greer, and you're writing for Matthew Broderick, and you're writing for Stephen Merchant, like you're writing for Nathan Lane. You're getting these incredible actors coming in, and so you also want to, as a writer, give them moments to shine, even though they're they're ultimately the you know eleventh or twelfth or thirteenth person on the call sheet that day. You still know you have somebody great. Fred Willard is a perfect example. You know, yeah. you have Fred Willard. It's like, oh my God, I want to make sure I write something for Fred Willard that he's going to love to play. You know, and that he's going to be able to. It's going to make him feel at home. So, so I think that part of it was our job as writers to kind of create a character or or, or a storyline for them that would be fun to play. Ty, where do you land now? with a little bit of like, it's in my rear view mirror. It's interesting because I think everything is a little bit magnified by the global pandemic. Of course. Um, we're, we're not really able to, you know, we, we text each other and um, still in touch with a lot of the writers and, and all of that. But it feels, I think, particularly far away because we haven't really been able to kind of get together in person. Yeah. But um, I imagine uh, that's just, you know, that's really a shared experience. It's not unique, obviously, to having been on a show. I, I think maybe the miracle of the whole thing is that we actually finished. Yeah. yeah. I mean. In time, right? Yeah. yeah no, the, 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 we, they finished shooting the middle of February. The rap show rap party, I think, was like the third week in February or something. And then yeah. the pandemic hit. And so it really was, I mean, it could have been very different where we didn't even get to an ending. Yeah, we we somehow got it finished. So I guess in in some strange way, it feels kind of amazing that it that we got it done. And and I I would imagine it's probably harder, maybe harder for shows that would normally um, be, be, you know, working right now and, and are, are unable to, I mean, I can't even imagine the, the, the pain and really the kind of soul searching that's going on in the theater community right now. I mean, also I got to say, I mean, I think I can speak for you, Ty. I, I, there's no way I would do what I'm doing if I wasn't for beginning in the theater. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for the Williamstown Theater Festival and the Atlantic Theater Company and the Ensemble Studio Theater and the 52nd Street Project, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able, I would never have learned anything. And it, not that I know anything now, but I would know less than I know now. You know what I mean? So all of, and I'm, Ty is a creature of the theater too. So right. it fills all of the people who are working in LA or wherever making TV shows many of them were trained in the theater and without that ability right now, it is, it is heartbreaking and, and scary, you know? Yeah. I, it feels like the theater is, I mean, not, not for everybody, obviously. Um, and I, I hope this doesn't sound pretentious, but I feel like the theater is this is sort of the source for so many of us, like the, the real, like the, the, um, I don't want to say crucible, but like the, the testing ground, 
and it it I, it's it's hard to under to to understand how fragile it is. Yeah, I mean, th- this has made it seem so fragile. And when my my feeling about theater is basically that all it does is represent strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, this is just it's it's hard to see it be be sort of you know brought to its knees momentarily. Yeah, yeah. Well, I will say that you know I think people who move on. Or, or have the luxury of doing film and television, the kind of discipline and integrity and respect for the craft comes on to set with them. And I think it always, you know, Jesse was on my, the show also and mm-hmm. your show and, and my little show here. And I just think, you know, they're having theater actors at the center of any filmed piece um, is a really great thing in terms of, you know, I don't know, modeling people being able to model that kind of respect for the craft mm-hmm. and the yeah. work ethic it's an amazing yeah. thing and and it's behind the scenes too i think i think yeah. there's there's such a uh, a high quality of kind of a person in theater and and a, a sense of respect and and uh discipline self-discipline for sure that i feel like having theater people in the trailer before scenes and having, and I mean guests as well, especially yeah. even sometimes, especially after you've been doing it for a long time and, and maybe, you know, you're tempted to coast. Yep. Um, having theater people around come in and visit and, and bring a, a, a built in humility uh, is, you know, is, is incredibly valuable. Um, and, but that not even to make that sound like that's what the value of theater is. That's such a like uh, LA centric thing. I think I mean it really more that that that's the sort of the in what what makes theater sort of a beacon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me. Plus, people who are good at the Tony pool when you do it at work, you know. Otherwise, <laughs> you know. Well, Cheyenne Jackson. Be- Cheyenne Jackson was just on the show, and he's like, you know, a theater person is on a film set because they hang up their clothes at the end of the day. Like, yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's it's, like- it's 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 amazing. I got so much. Um, so many thank yous, I, right? So many pats on the back for hanging up my clothes, and I was like, well, I'm over eight. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew it was a thing? But it's a thing. I, I want to ask you both, um, Billy, I'll start with Bill, Sir Bill, Sir William Rubel. Stop, stop. Sir, Sir Billy Rubes. Sir Billy, Billy Rubes. Um, and then, Ty, you can think about your answer. Um, what do you hope the legacy of Modern Family, you know, it's still so close to us. We can still, you know, easily access our favorite episodes. But, you know, in years to come, what what do you hope the legacy of the show will be? That's a great question. I, I, I can't believe Ty gets to think about it, and I don't. Um, <laughs> well, but look, I, my first answer is is this, and this is this isn't is partially also having worked on Will and Grace is is just the role modeling of of a gay relationship of mm-hmm. gay parents with kids uh, between Mitch and Cam in that show. I, I think is really meaningful. I, I know it because I've had many gay parents at schools just say, you know the shows that you've worked on, and it's not me, it's the people who created it, have been so inspiring and meaningful. 
so the idea that this show modern family with any, any kind of social relevance i think is 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 lovely um i also just think it will be you know that that ideally that it's something that people will look at as this uh uh funny warm um somewhat optimistic um window into this particular family that hopefully will reflect the dynamics in other families um and and then and that the stories that we t- tell there will will remain relatable um mm-hmm. i guess and that people will continue to be able to enjoy it i you know it's it's fun when you're on a plane and you see it and you know not that we've been on planes lately but you know what i mean uh so just the idea that there's a there's a people are able to watch the show from all walks of life is is really nice as I'm sure for an actor, but but a writer. And again, so much of that, I just got to tip my hat one more time to Chris Lloyd and Steve Levitan, who created the show, because I really do believe they cobbled together a world that was able to be, you know, was able to give us 11 years worth of episodes. Yeah. Um, well, I came up with a very elaborate poem because I had so much time to <laughs> Um, no, uh, um, no, I, 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 I really agree with what you said, Bill. I think, I think that that particular couple in the show is going to kind of really stand the test of time as having made a big difference in terms of just normalizing, um, love. Um, I also think that it's just one of the things that I love about the show is that, you know, the lack of cynicism and the real attempts to to uh to have really heartfelt um earnest moments even with the risk knowing that the risk was that if you miss the the target it would be saccharine Mm -hmm. um i feel like the legacy of the show uh is that parents and kids and grandparents found something because of that really, I, I think, um, in large part anyway, they found something that they could all watch together. And my favorite moments are when people, you know, come up and say, I watched this with my sick grandfather, or we, wa- we watched this all together for 11 years. Um, you know, the, the idea that it was something that brought, you know, younger kids and, and older people together um, I don't know. I just, it means a lot to me. And, and I always tell them that I'm, I'm responsible for the whole thing. <laughs> Bill, Bill, none, none of the writers that really, it wasn't, it wasn't written. It was, it was me dictating yeah. to everybody. And he was in, he wanted to shoot it on mountain time. That was also, you have to remember that. <laughs> even I, though it was, even though it was made in LA. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still wanted it shot at mountain time. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I cannot thank both of you enough. This was incredible fun and we all need distraction right now. Um, so thank you both. And I'm not kidding. I really, really am excited to do this play with you. Like, that's amazing that we're doing that. Um, totally, I wasn't even like, there was zero agenda, but the fact that that organically just came together, that's Wait, amazing. I, I just got a rehearsal schedule you sent me yeah. on, on my yeah. computer. Yeah, but, so... So, this is happening fast. But you're dipping, but Alana, I do want to say that you are also a gift. The show that you do is such a is such a gift, and, and I'm such a fan. 
and I was a fan of yours in the New York theater. I watched you on, on stage, on Broadway, off Broadway. So, you know, to be invited to do this with Ty is just such a thrill and, and I'm really appreciative. And um, you, yeah, you're, you add a little bit of magic via this podcast oh, and just thank your you. being. So thank you. Well, I love you so much. Go ahead, Ty. Sorry, Todd. <laughs> I, I love you guys. Um, no, I, I really do appreciate this. This is really lovely to talk about um, the show, and uh, I hope through all of it, um, shine a, 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 a greater light on the writers of sitcom. Yeah. Uh, Thank, yeah. Well, that's nice. Also, when will we know if more people listen to this than to Jesse? Will you just keep like, in, in You know, Jesse, yeah. Tyler Ferguson, that is a big one, but we will definitely have the metrics compared. All the okay, analytics great. will be sent. All right. That's so great. thank you both so, so much for being on the podcast today. Much love. Thank, thank you, Alana. A-OK. And one more thing, if you enjoyed today's episode, would you mind going over to the Apple Podcast show page and rate and review the show? Thank you. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and performed by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. And episodes are recorded in New York City and edited by Nicholas Clark.